episode of the Insights Podcast on the Acadia Broadcasting System. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. David, I've been wanting to do a podcast on the wine industry in Nova Scotia for some time. It's really come a long way over the last 20 years in particular. It's, it seems to be a really important um, sort of a contributor to tourism in the valley of Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia in particular. They've got wine tours going all over the place. Um, you know, I've, I've got a modest uh, sort of investment in Bent uh, Ridge Winery uh, down near Windsor, you know, and, you know, that that little winery has actually done quite well and is, uh, um, you know, uh, attracting a lot of attention uh, from uh, from both the local market and, and out of province people. So it was really interesting to talk to the largest wine producer in Nova Scotia. <clears throat> Uh, with a company that's been there from the beginning, Yost Wineries, which he and his wife purchased uh, in uh, 2011, I believe, and to get his perspective on what's going on in the wine sector in our province. Yeah, he, he talks. It's a wide-ranging conversation. It covers the economic <laughs> scale of the industry and the impact of the industry to some of the the styles of grapes and some of the the environment for growing grapes and and producing wine in Nova Scotia through to his uh, considerations or concerns around policy questions that are um, potentially hammering hampering the industry's ability to grow in Nova Scotia for so for people interested in the wine sector it's a really good uh, a really good primer uh, on the industry in Nova Scotia yeah, and I was surprised to learn that uh, Yost represents 50% of the wine industry in Nova Scotia. <clears throat> it has three different wineries. Um, and, um, you know, it uh, sells about one and a half million bottles of wine a year. So <clears throat> while that number seems uh, like a lot, he makes a case that, you know, they need to grow a lot more. And he suggested a couple of ways where um, you know wineries in this region could benefit from some changes in legislation, which I think are really important to to deal with. Uh, one of the problems that we have, one of the problems, one of the challenges that we have in Nova Scotia, is that unlike a lot of other provinces, <clears throat> we are unable to buy wine and beer in grocery stores, and uh, you know that is a big opportunity for local wineries and. Uh, brewers as well to increase the sales of their products uh, and to connect them to the food purchase, which is done not everywhere, but almost everywhere else in Canada. Yeah, they're doing a lot of that in New Brunswick now, so I'm surprised that Nova Scotia hasn't moved in that direction. I mean, one of the challenges with the liquor industry in general is, is the focus is on the profit margins at the retail level. So the tax is charged on the booze uh, by the liquor corporation and that money shows up. It shows up on the government balance sheet and, show, and, show, and so on. But with the local industry, you have to look at a broader range of economic and tax impacts because you're actually producing the grapes, you're actually producing the wine, you're actually having these other benefits around tourism. So, And, and I think uh, Carl does a good job of explaining that to us in this discussion. Yeah. <clears throat> The other thing uh, that uh, I was a bit surprised to learn is the unfair advantage that uh, Quebec wine bottlers have in this region over um, local wineries. Um, they're able to import their wines into our region, but we cannot import our wines into their region. So there's a there's an unfairness to that, obviously, that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I don't even understand how that happens, how you can... I thought there was better interprovincial trade when it came to wine and beer, but if there really is this imbalance, I think that it behooves government to think to try to figure out how to fix that. Exactly, <clears throat> and as you mentioned, this is a pretty good primer on you know what are the strengths of growing wine in in Nova Scotia given its climate. He made a very clear case that the. The Lacadie uh, uh, grape was the really the prime grape uh, that should be grown in this, our region, and that the Tidal Bay wines, which are excellent by the way, and uh, are starting to have a reputation beyond uh, beyond Nova Scotia, 
And also we talked a little bit about the challenges of trying to grow uh, red grapes and, and have quality red wines in our, uh, in our region as well. It's not an industry for the faint of heart. Uh, it, it is very capital intensive on a per acre basis compared to other fruits and vegetables that we produce in Nova Scotia and across Atlantic Canada. So it's, uh, it's nice to get us a, a story, a successful story. And, and the industry has been growing. Its GDP impact has been increasing in recent years in Nova Scotia. So it's, I think it's a good news story uh, that the listeners will appreciate. Uh, just one final point. You know, the opportunity here is quite a bit larger than it currently is. He made an example, which I found, I didn't know this, but uh, only 5% of the grapes in California are grown in Napa Valley. And he said that Nova Scotia has the, uh, the opportunity to grow 10 times the amount of grapes that are grown in Napa Valley. So we're, we're at the really early stages of this industry, even though it's been around for 40 years and uh, lots of opportunity for growth. So with that introduction, here's our conversation with Carl Sparks, the CEO of Divinion Wineries. We are pleased to have Carl Sparks, the CEO of Devonian Coast Wineries, as our guest on this episode of the Insights Podcast. Devonian Coast Wineries include Yolkst Vineyards, Gasparol Vineyards, and Mercado uh, Vineyards. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Don. Uh, great to be here. I appreciate this today. And, and David? So before we start talking about the company, uh, let's start by giving our listeners a little bit of your personal history, Carl, what's your business background? Where were you born? Uh, how did you end up ultimately uh, with the ownership of Devonian Coastal Wineries? Well, uh, natural career path, Newfoundlander, uh, did a geology degree back in the 70s, uh, moved to Calgary uh, and worked in the oil industry and then worked around the world for about five years, but uh, ultimately ended up in, in Halifax. Uh, where the world changed. I did an MBA at, at St. Mary's and uh, shifted gears, met my beautiful wife here, and who uh, uh, was working with uh, C100 at the time, and uh, went through the MBA program, started a marketing consulting firm. Uh, one of my clients was Eastern Bakeries. Uh, I went on to join in a marketing capacity and ended up as president in, by, I think, about 91. Uh, that became the nucleus for Canada Bread, so that for the next 18 years, 18, 20 years, spending a corporate world within the Canada Bread Maple Leaf uh, family, which was uh, an incredible uh, experience and learning, and uh, left there and went into private equity. And I did sushi, frozen fruit and vegetables, seafood, a bunch of things over, over the course of another probably seven or eight years. And uh, then decided that uh, uh, I was unemployable. I, I needed to go to uh, something on my own. I was tired of boardrooms, tired of being, uh, you know, in that sort of world. And my wife and I decided that we were going to do, so our, our own mini strategic plan had uh, the goalposts of uh, a winery somewhere in the world or a food company in Atlantic Canada that we could then leverage and, you know, the experiences that we had. And Yoast actually came up quite by accident, believe it or not. It was being brokered in the U.S. I did not even know. I was living in Toronto at the time we were. And uh, it was uh, it was northeast. Uh, it was the only thing. It was a totally blind uh, ad on uh, uh, wineries for sale in North America. And I forget it was either not upper new york state or niagara and when we got into things and i realized it was actually yoast it was uh, wow i don't want anybody to know that this this company is potentially uh purchasable because somebody will outbid me and for the next almost a year it took to land it was uh it was a pretty exciting trip and that's how we ended up here uh the company is 40 uh, just celebrating his 40th year in the business and it's our 11th with them so we're delighted to to be where we are so the wine industry is not the easiest industry um uh, to go into you you and your wife founded it in 2011 uh, um why did you what attracted you to the wine industry in the first place 
long desire to own a winery. I've uh, been a student of the industry for some 40 years. 40 years. That's a long time. Um, most of our, like, I, I tell people I was more into wine before I got into the industry than I am now. And we were collectors. We, uh, you know, we, we were, you know, level one sommeliers. Uh, we did, we were all about wine. Everything we did, we've been to almost every wine uh, region on the planet. Uh, met winery owners, and it was a, a trip in 1989. We were we, we took a chateau in the south of France, but uh, had met Marc Chaputier of the their seventh generation, their royalty really in in, in Burgundy. Uh, we hit it off. Went, he invited us to come visit. We spent about a week in that in that region. Met uh, Georges de Beaufort Jr. and uh, Chaputiers and, and others in the area. And I was actually running Eastern Bakeries at that point. And I saw the similarities between the production side of things in our in our baking industry as well uh, as uh, they were doing in wine. George de Buff in particular, because they had a much more modern facility and a more modern approach to things. If nobody knows, they are the they really put uh, Beaujolais Nouveau on the map. If you, that would be the the brand that you'd be most familiar with. And anyway, on our on a drive back to uh, to Nice, uh, I, I said to Donna. Uh, uh, news for you. Uh, I, I kind of get this stuff. Someday, somewhere, we're going to own a winery. And that's how it all started, really. Uh, Carl, you didn't, men- you didn't mention, but you also own a restaurant in downtown Halifax. It's called the Mercantile Social. Yeah. Good place to eat, by the way, for any pe- people who are listening. Tell well, us about that, that uh, little diversion. Yeah, <laughs> uh, diversion. <laughs> diversion is right. Thank you for doing that, Don. Uh, yeah, the restaurant industry is very special. So I'm I'm not that smart, okay? I'm in two industries that are probably among the most challenging <laughs> you can involved in, but I do like a challenge. Uh, we opened it in 2017 under a different brand. I was just a silent in- investor, as but as you know me, Don, I'm never silent. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, got into what, was, what turn, turns out to be some normal partnership type of issues, and we ended up taking it on 100%. Uh, rebranding and uh, have been working with it ever since. We have an amazing team there now. Very proud of them. A young chef, for, originally from Italy, family, and uh, two young, uh, very experienced general co-general managers who are also a couple uh, who are now who now have the reins, and we're just delighted with what the, what they're doing. So, yeah, we enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I had I had some experience in the restaurant business as well as part of the. Uh, founding group of the Carlton. Okay. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting industry. That's all I'll say. It is. Yes. <laughs> now the wine industry in Nova Scotia has come a long way in the last 20 years. Can you give us an idea of how big the wine industry is in Nova Scotia in terms of perhaps the number of active wineries, the overall economic value of the industry in terms of sales, and maybe even the number of jobs uh, associated with the industry? Yeah, uh, so there is a every every two years there is an economic impact uh, study done by this group out of the U.S. But they and they specialize in in wine regions around the world, and they they pull in. They're one of the few, maybe the only ones actually, who cover all of the uh, the impacts into wine because, as you know, it's from agriculture, food processing, uh, tourism, uh, import, and, and export, et cetera. So the most recent uh, survey done in our region was in uh, 2021. And, uh, well, you know, just some basic facts to begin with. There are about 24 wineries in the region, 50-odd growers. By all accounts, about 1,500 acres. uh, And the extent of employment, I think I say extended, but this is strictly within uh, the wineries, would be about 1,000 people as vineyards and and tasting rooms and all all, that. all combined. Uh, but the overall economic impact of the wine industry here, as in other parts of the world, it punches well above its weight class because it does impact uh, the other other parts of the economy. Uh, 245 million in 2021, that was the, uh, the estimate, uh, combined. And now uh, this includes both produced in the province as well as bottled in the province. And uh, I'll get to that uh, in, in a bit as well. But on the wage side of things, fifty million dollars. Uh, business revenue, one hundred and sixty million. 
tax revenue 32 for that total 245 uh, the industry yeah you say the industry's come a long way in 20 years I, I can be honest with you to say and blunt actually in that I'm not at all happy with how far the industry has come in the time I've been here my predictions 10 years ago 11 years ago was that and I said and stated very uh, openly that yeah great little industry but until we attract some big investors big other wineries who have vines planted other part in other parts of Canada or other parts of the planet we're still just a, an, a neat little uh, cottage industry and, and unfortunately we have not yet been able to attract those big multi you know uh, multinational or even national players at the plant here I think we will uh, we just have not done that uh, as of yet so those numbers that you just gave us are they uh, for the Maritimes or or no, strictly Nova Scotia just Nova Scotia okay yeah. thank you uh, and what about other areas in the Maritimes are, is there any any other wine industry started anywhere else in the region yeah interestingly enough and a lot of people don't don't uh, are not aware of this, but uh, New Brunswick uh, is seeing a lot of growth, and uh, in in well, there's some wineries there. There are some wineries there. Uh, there are a lot more uh, grapes being grown, and we actually source. We're the largest buyer of grapes in the province, and we have we have three growers there. And this new grower came from the film industry, a very interesting individual who's, who's in the process of planting 50 acres. He actually purchased one of our three growers' properties. And, uh, and they have the same conditions as we do on the North Shore. So if you think about it, Don, uh, where Malagash is on the Northumberland Strait, you continue on in, into New Brunswick, and the, the vineyards are actually uh, around the coast going, going north from there. Same conditions, same geology, same... Uh, same proximity to the to the Northumberland Strait, so uh, very. I, I think it, you know we were bullish on that area. Uh, they've uh, survived through a lot of the heavy duty frost uh, issues that we've had in the valley and the deep uh, temperatures, and, and they seem to be as moderated in that regard as we are in Malagash. Mm. Yeah, so I also have a little interest in a, a very small interest in a winery. It's called Bent Ridge. And um, oh, yeah. we went we went through the uh, frost problem of a couple right. of years ago, where ninety percent of the grapes were destroyed, basically. So it's a you know it's obviously wet, weather dependent, like everything in agriculture. Sure. Uh, but uh, just on the you mentioned that there's uh, about fifteen hundred acres uh, under cultivation uh, in the province. Um, the, and and uh, you also indicated that you were, I guess, disappointed that the pace of the growth has not been greater. Uh, what is the opportunity, do you think, based on your knowledge of, of how many acres could be under cultivation in this province? Well, you know, interesting. I, I happened to have dinner with uh, a lady last night from uh, Fresno, California. Uh, she owns, she and her Two sisters own this company that and your father founded in 1946 called Vidal. They are the most people would never hear of them. They are the second largest uh, grower in California. Mm. And you know we, we got to talk about that. Most people think of Napa. They think of um, you know California and wines. And the the only thing they think of for the most part would be Napa. Napa represents less than five percent of all the grapes grown in California. Hmm. Uh, the big growing area in California is between you know, south of San Francisco to Santa Barbara, uh, the Central Coast and the Central Valley. Uh, massive amount of, growth, of grapes. Our little area in the Annapolis Valley is 10 times larger than, than uh, Napa. Uh, but there are other areas such as where we are on the North Shore. We have more growers coming there, including our partner Fox Harbor. Uh, uh, we have uh, three growers, young young folks, young farmers who've gotten into the industry. We're somewhat unlimited in terms of our potential to grow here if we plant the right stuff that that are suitable for uh, for our climate. Uh, it's an interesting thing, and and you know, going back, I had a fascinating conversation with this lady last night, telling me how they have grown and and. Uh, 
you know, so I asked her for some advice. She'd been at our winery. Uh, she was with our global wine broker and uh, got to play golf at Fox Harbor, as you know. Your, your brother lives there and you, you live there half the time, too, as I know, Don. Mm -hmm. uh, and just, you know, was fascinated by what we're doing, what's happening here. And just as most people that uh, come to our beautiful province, you know, are, are just blown away by the beauty and potential. Uh, to her, it is, you need to play to your strengths. She, she tasted the tidal bays and she tasted some components of the wines that are actually in, in process right now that actually go into tidal bay and one in particular, uh, Lacadie. So Lacadie is Nova Scotia's great. And the oddest thing about it is for the past decade, we've done everything possible to uh, pretend that it doesn't exist. Uh, rather than, than, you know, wrap our arms around it and say, this is ours, this is special. We try and plant Chardonnay and plant Pinot Gris and plant other things and try and pretend that we are Champagne or we are Burgundy. We are not. We are Nova Scotia. We, we may be on a latitude with a lot of other parts of the world, but so is Dubrovnik and, and others. We're not. We're not Champagne. We are not Burgundy. And we are exposed to some extreme uh, weather uh, conditions here that will will seriously damage us as we've seen in the past uh, the past year with a deep freeze that happened in January. Uh, temperatures uh, came close to minus 30 and pretty well wiped out, wiped out not just the crop, but the vines of those vinifers that have been planted on, on this vineyard expansion program that previous uh, previous government uh, <clears throat> uh, led uh, a lot of uh, people into. So we are, our potential is around being who we are and, 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 you know, <clears throat> excuse me, building to our strengths, embracing <clears throat> the, uh, what we have learned is we've got 40 years of, of, uh, history. We're still a very young wine region, but we seem to ignore what, what has happened and what the, uh, and, and choosing a path forward. Uh, we seem to get, to, get uh, to trip over ourselves rather than working together and say, yeah, we are different and let's celebrate that and let's move forward. Uh, you know, Lackady is the backbone of Tidal Bay. Vidal, Seval, they grow in other regions uh, and, and do, do very well. Uh, through this freeze this past year, I've gone through, we have 13 different vineyards of Lackady. And I'm, and we're looking at, and I'll use Fox Harbor actually as, a, as, a, as one example. It's very clear. If you've been through there recently, you'll see that Chardonnay, Riesling was on one side of the Lackady and, and Chardonnay was on the other. Both are gone. But Lackady has the biggest crop after the t minus 30 temperatures, minus 28 temperatures. Lackady right, uh, this year has the biggest crop that it ever has. <clears throat> Excuse me, mm. ever has. So, mm. yeah, I'm bullish on, on that little grape. Mm. So I did want to ask you a little bit about the grapes, and, and it's way out of my area of expertise, of course. But so are you saying that Lacadie is the only grape, or are there other varieties that no. also work in Nova Scotia's climate? No, I, I, I guess I'm using Lacadie uh, in, in a general sense uh, to, to uh, mean that the French hybrids, and we have many of them here. So Lacadie, I'm, I'm I have a particular bias for. It's very versatile, grows well, crops well. But no, we have many other French uh, French hybrids. The vinifers are going to be, be challenged here, right? The Chardonnays, the Rieslings will be will be a challenge, and I think we just saw the results of a what that looks like. I mean, there were millions and millions invested by government uh, on a vineyard expansion program going back to the previous Liberal government, uh, and you know the whole climate change, climate war, you know, global warming. Everybody said, yeah, we'll be able to ripe uh, Chardonnay or Cabernet here someday. Well, it's nonsense, you know. It defies uh, real science, and unfortunately, we're seeing the result of it. But uh, French hybrids are—they uh, were designed for this climate. That's why they, they've been—you know—they've survived here. Foch, which you know, a lot of people are, are almost embarrassed by, but uh, you know, in several of our blends, they they do very very well, and actually are among the top-selling reds in the province. Mm. Uh, have withstood decades of everything that nature could throw at it, still doing well. So can I ask if there's other 
attributes of Nova Scotia that support grape growing? Is there certain, is the soil a certain way? Is the climate, can the climate actually be beneficial in some capacity? Like what makes Nova Scotia an actual good environment to grow, grow these grapes and ultimately uh, produce these wines? Well, ultimately it's the ocean influence uh, that moderates temperatures on, on the fringe, on the, the, the spring and, and, uh, and fall, spring in particular. Um, how to growing degree days is another uh, key feature. I know we, uh, a few years back, we had the Department of Agriculture did a, a study around the province to find out the regions that had the, the greatest potential uh, for growing grapes. And uh, interestingly enough, as you got closer to the coast in the south part of, of the province, the most south part of the province, the growing degree days dropped because uh, uh, they basically had too much fog. And they were getting, you know, and, and particularly in the early part of the year in June, you, you know, yourself, I lived in St. Margaret's Bay at one point in time. I know what fog looks like. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so that was, that was a challenge. So in those areas here, uh, growing degree days, the ocean influence, but not too much influence as in, as in fog. Soil chemistry is a big factor. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the, really the moderating temperatures and having a, a long enough period to ripen the grapes. That's one of the reasons that many viniferas that require more of both just don't do well here. Um, you know, we don't ripen reds as well as a normal uh, vinifera. Uh, reds as uh, as other other areas do, but once again, playing to our strengths, uh, we are you know in a very favored environment, notwithstanding some of the events that we uh, we, we tend to experience. Um, it, it's been uh, more challenging growing red grapes in this province. Um, at Bent Ridge, they they decided uh, to grow a Marquette grape, Marquette, <clears throat> which I. I think they were one of the early uh, wineries to try that grape. <clears throat> Still under under development, I think. But uh, why is it harder to grow red grapes, red grapes compared to white grapes in this province? Well, I mean, one of the reasons is is just that is the amount of time, ripening time that that it takes. So they they do not get to, well. You'll get what's called phenolic ripening. Right? Technically, uh, you'll you'll not build up the uh, uh, you know, the, the sugars required on some of them. Now, it's interesting you, you mentioned Marquette. Mar we have Marquette. Uh, I think it was planted 15 years ago. And Yost was the first. And it's my favorite little vineyard. It's the only one that we actually pick by hand these days. We're, you know, we have uh, some fancy harvesting equipment, new harvesting equipment, but uh, we would still pick Marquette by hand. And it seems to do everything it's supposed to do, right? It is not only, you know, it, it is... Uh, my favorite red wine, we have a Marquette Reserve, and we actually treat half of it as a, uh, uh, in the passamento uh, method. So we dry it to uh, remove about 30% of moisture in a, in a controlled uh, environment, and then, uh, then harvest it, and obviously you get a higher alcohol content. And uh, interestingly enough, most people are not aware of the fact that that grape actually is one of the big blend, big cropping, big blending grapes in Ontario. John Peller is a friend of mine. And John loves Marquette. Every time he comes down to visit, he wants to drink only Marquette. He sits at the restaurant and <laughs> yeah, and we, we have uh, have a few uh, of the uh, <clears throat> the Mercator uh, Marquette. So I, you know, it's it's not a dead issue. I think once again, it comes down to understanding our strengths and continuing to, you know, there's a lot of different red varieties that are being planted here and tested. You know, there's some parts of the world where you say you don't really have a wine industry unless you have a solid red uh, wine program. Mm. Whether that's true or not, I mean, that may have been true in the past, but uh, uh, we're, we're agriculturalists, farmers, winery owners, we're always going to be trying something, right? whether, <laughs> whether there's a business sense or not. Yeah. Listen, uh, tell us a little bit about the history of Devonian Coast wines. You started with Yoast and uh, you've added two other uh, wineries. Tell us about that. Well, uh, you know, back to when Yoast was uh, 
was first in play. And we, we started Devonian Coast uh, Wineries, then my wife and I, and acquired Yost. And with it came Gasparo. Um, I think two years later, uh, the property that was Muir Murray, not a, not a great brand, not a great much of anything, but an amazing property, uh, came up for sale. So we jumped on it immediately and, and uh, pretty well replanted the entire property uh, into, into Mercator. We have since developed other brands, Luvo, uh, which was a, a contemporary, we put in a, in a new state-of-the-art canning line two years ago uh, for you know a number of wines, not all wines uh, work in a can, but it is a, uh, if you look at the whole RTD category, which actually uh, has taken a lot from the wine industry, young people coming in to beverage alcohol, um, you know, are not always all over wine. So it's beer, and, you know, craft beer, and then the uh, the spirits uh, that are that are driven by this ready to drink. It's convenient, it's transportable, all those things. So we we decided we needed to be in that market. It's growing globally, uh, incrementally, and uh, so we you know we we have gone in a in a in a huge way. So we've got the, the Luvo brand, and we have more to come. Uh, we're also you know keep well. The hybrid model of a, of a winery from a scale perspective is the model of a successful winery in Canada. So in both in British Columbia and Ontario, uh, the large wineries have a substantial portion of their por portfolio that is imported and bottled. You cannot get to scale even in those markets with strictly local grapes. You just don't have it. You're, you're competing with the world. You're competing with uh, a massive gallows and, and and others of the world that that uh, that are in those favored regions canada as a whole uh, you know while we're okanagan and niagara and, and and here in nova scotia we have some beautiful growing areas we do not we're not a fraction of of the global wine market so we need to import and uh, and bottle on site a lot of people think oh my god what are you doing you're bringing in wine and you're bottling here in the province so let me tell you there's more bordeaux that leaves Bordeaux. I, I know one of the biggest uh, uh, bulk producers in, in Bordeaux. There's more Bordeaux that leaves that region in a, in a 24,000 liter uh, uh, bladder than, than leaves in bottles. And actually, for many, many years, the big players in the UK, the big bottlers being the grocery, grocery chains, uh, are, are those who avail of that. So you need to be there. We are there and we're going to be there in a, in a, in a bigger way. As, uh, as a company going forward. So can you tell us a little bit about your scale? Like how many acres of vineyard do you have in the province and how much grapes do you grape do you produce uh, purchase from other producers? Well, we um, in, in total as it, and I'm just going to talk strictly the Nova Scotia portion of it. We're we're about a little more than half of the of the industry. Mm. And uh, you know combined we have I think about 18 growers and um, there was a time we were, our combined business was, uh, put us in the top 10 in Canada, but that was like a decade ago. I doubt that we were even close to that today because we've not grown at the scale, you know, even double digit growth from a small base does not get you to where, uh, you know, a lot of other players are. So we're about half, you know, suffice it to say we're about half the size of the, uh, the industry in total. And, um, yeah. So, do you have any future? Like, do you have acreage under development? Are you are you uh, in growth mode? Every year, um, across our properties, um, I think we're we're doing at least ten to fifteen acres a year, and that that's that's not a big number for us. I mean, we need more, but and to, to be honest with you, all of the planning is lacking. We have. In our long-term plans, the only grape that comes up short is Lackadie. Hmm. Without, get, without getting too specific, Carl, is 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 it capital intensive? I'm familiar with other sectors. Um, is 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 grape growing a, a capital intensive on a per acre basis? Extremely. Um, and if you look at the return on uh, investment, never mind the return on effort, uh, which is quite low. <laughs> 
Um, about $25,000 to get established, but that will take five years before you actually have, uh, have a crop. And, uh, so from that, you know, if you look at it on the, on the surface and just as a, as a pure investment, unless you have scale, unless you're in the business, unless you are, you know, you can be converting those grapes into wine revenues, um, you know, in, in the short, shortest term, which is five years, it's <clears throat> a lot of people get into this. And I think the, the government enticed the number of no, uh, folks who had no, had barely been on a farm, let, let alone had come from a farm with agricultural background uh, to get into the industry and they planted and didn't realize the work that was involved. And you know, we had calls. I was getting one call a week from somebody who owned a vineyard that they had planted based on the, the, the it being financed by the previous liberal government. And would you, man, uh, first question was, would you manage it for us? No. Are you interested in buying it? No. Uh, because most of them were in, you know, they were pretty, uh, gardens uh, that you know they could look over from their patio, and it was you know ridiculous. Right? Okay. Um, we're going to come back a little bit later and ask you about the role of government uh, to support the industry, but I did want to ask. Sure you want to do that? <laughs> we have to. Uh, but yeah. uh, how many how many people do you employ on a on a year round and seasonal basis? <clears throat> well, I'm not sure. I mean, it's a moving target. We bring in some. Uh, uh, seasonal workers to work in the, in the vineyards and of course, you know, our, uh, tasting rooms, uh, uh, would the three tasting rooms being open through the summer months would be the peak. I, we're, we're, it's probably a couple of hundred people in, in total. I mean, it, when it comes to the actual production side of things, we're fairly mechanized even in our harvesting. Uh, so, you know, the, we, uh, I won't say we're fully automated enough by, by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, yeah, sort of in, in that in that ballpark. You've already mentioned that Yoast is uh, about half the industry in Nova Scotia, uh, but you know, what would that translate in terms of the number of bottles of wine that you produce on an annual basis? Can you give us a number? We're probably doing a million and a half bottles right right now. I mean, that's my best best guess. But I, you know, we're growing, and that's always a moving target. Right, well, that's a pretty good number, actually. Um, too small, way too small. <laughs> Got to have ambition. Uh, Yoast was among the first wineries in Atlantic Canada. You mentioned it's been around for forty years. And the early days, I remember the early days of Yoast. That, you know, the wine took a while to develop to an acceptable quality, obviously. Uh, but the quality wines being produced in Nova Scotia have been steadily rising over the years. Maybe you can tell us about the process of how do you, how do you improve wines? Uh, you know, and how, how's, how has that worked for you? Interesting question. But, but uh, first and foremost, though, I'd like to say when people talk about Yoast and uh, the early days, and I'm, I'm well aware of that. I remember I was living in St. John, New Brunswick. I was president of Eastern Bakeries, and I was at a conference at the convention center there in 1986. And uh, we had wine on the table that was um, branded with whatever the event was. I forget exactly what it was at the time. You've got to be kidding me. This is a Nova, and it had Nova Scotia, Yost Vineyards, Nova Scotia. Didn't realize there was even a winery here. I tried the wine. I said, oh, that's interesting. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, it was pretty raw. Um, but most people don't realize that, uh, do you recall rights? You're old enough to recall that. Uh, you probably wouldn't be unless you spent time in, in Western Canada. Calona, C-A-L, Ona, which actually still exists, was the early blended, blended wines in, in that region. No wine region, certainly in Canada and probably most of the world, when it started, was, was that special. So, like anything else, it requires time, experimentation, experience yeah, to evolve. And we mentioned, uh, you asked about the process, um, you know, how do you get, how do you continue to create a better, a better wine? Well, it's not that different than, you, you know, a bit about the restaurant industry too. Mm. Uh, the chef is, will, and the chef's experience and uh, talent, obviously, education, experience and training uh, is what gets you to that, 
that special place with a, be a better quality menu. Wine industry is no different. We have a winemaker that was trained, uh, has the educational background. Um, Gina Haverstock uh, is a star. And uh, she, she, she worked around the world, from Germany, France, Chile, uh, New Zealand, uh, and, and, and has a mindset of continuous improvement. She's a naturally inquisitive individual. She's crazy smart and uh, is fearless. She just takes on whatever. And you know, every year, every vintage, it does not matter whether it's a, been a lean one or an abundant one. She, she manages to develop uh, special wines. Luckily, we do have others. I don't believe, I'm a little biased, but I don't believe of Gina's talent, but the industry has come where it has. I remember when I first bought uh, uh, the winery, and the very first event was a wine symposium, and Peter Gamble is a well-known consultant in the industry and pretty well helped Benjamin Bridge get to where they are, and I think the Lightfoots. Uh, we were the first two to get to taste the first 10 tidal bays. And I'm, I'm like, uh, like, holy shit, what have I gotten into here? You know, how, what is, to me, it was, what it, so this is a big initiative that brands the entire industry. So for me, it was, I'm looking for the lowest, uh, the weakest link, shall we say. And the tidal bay standards were, were brand new. And uh, so I went through, probably in record time, and sipped and spit uh, my way through the, the first, 10 uh, tidal bays and I breathe a sigh of relief coming out of it that there was not one that I would say was a problem. They weren't all great, but as a starting point, it was, okay, this is going to work. And uh, that was a decade ago. And I can tell you those wines have, have uh, improved immensely. I would recommend any tidal bay in the province. So I'm very proud of where the, that project has come. So I wanted to ask you a couple of questions here around how important is it for a winery to compete and win national or international awards? Um, and then secondly, uh, where are you? Are you exporting outside the province? And, and if, if so, where? Uh, first question. Yeah, I think it's more important to the winemakers and the people in the industry Uh I mean, Yokes has won more awards than, you know, they've been around for 40 years. So collectively, and even every year, we have, we have a, you know, a very large portfolio of wine. So just by the numbers alone, we'd be winning more awards uh, than, uh, than others. But, uh, um, yeah, it's important, but it's, it's an endorsement. It's basically say when somebody else likes your wine, who's not, uh, who doesn't have to, Right, who's not local and saying, "Oh yeah, well, we got to like this stuff." If you're from somewhere else and you taste the wine, and 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 particularly those professionals in the industry, uh, I know I go back to the early days. My wife and I, as uh, before there was any of this happening in the industry, we uh, went to Provine in, in Dusseldorf, Germany, and uh, and actually took a booth there to pour Tidal Bay specifically because I wanted to know: Are we just too cute by half here in our little region, or? Is this something that others in the world, in the real world of wine, uh, can appreciate? And when I have South African uh, and New Zealand winemakers coming by and saying, you know, you know, just fascinated by by what we had going on and describing it and saying, you know, I put, I want to put this in a bottle and 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 pour it, and people will think that this wine is from our region. And that was pretty special. We came back, and I remember. Uh, you know, after these exhausted days of, of pouring a lot of wine, just being so satisfied that, well, holy shit, you know, this is really good. People get the fact that Nova Scotia wine and the Tidal Bay in particular is is of high quality and, and has a universal appeal. So can you tell us a little bit about where you're selling the stuff? Well, we did actually sell a lot into China, uh, like way too much. And this is back when China, was, uh, before they clamped down on, on, on uh, government spending. I think there was one wedding that uh, a whole container of, uh, of our wine service, the week-long uh, wedding by, uh, uh, I won't mention names, but a very senior uh, political individual who had some connections here. Uh, we're not, we're not, that, and that whole thing came on quite by accident. Uh, this was not a strategic play. Uh, we own, no, you know, less than 10% of our local market. And by local, I mean Nova Scotia. That number drops considerably when you look at the other three provinces in Atlantic Canada. 
we sell a little bit every year uh, into SAQ in Quebec and LCBO. Uh, we are in uh, you know, pretty well all provinces except British Columbia. British Columbia is very tight when it comes to uh, uh, supporting the definition of local. Uh, but our main focus is Atlanta, Canada. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize they talk about export, and this is where government went astray and led a lot of others astray. On, like, we are not, like the, the notion of exporting out of this province, wine out of this province, is ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. And for government to spend one dime on it is a complete and utter waste. The previous liberal government was all over it. Then it was, look, you know, they got the trip around the province. I remember the previous uh, agriculture minister telling me that the Falcon Islands was a big opportunity for us. The Falcon Islands. <laughs> he went to, to uh, Iceland peddling our wine. Uh, if I sound a little jaded, uh, you'll understand. You know, and the ag agriculture minister wanted to bring me back to China. He thought it was a big deal in China because I was there at one point and I had connections. I said, look, if you join me or one of my sales team at the wine show in Edmonton in February, then I'll consider going to China with you. But we are a Canadian company and our domestic market share is of ultimate importance. We need to grow here. And when it comes to the actual economic impact, one bottle of wine sold here in this province, local wine sold in this province, delivers an impact of, it doesn't matter the, the, the overall price at the end of the day, uh, but it's, it's in order of magnitude of close to $50 a bottle. An imported wine delivers order of magnitude $9 a bottle. Okay? Uh, the, the production value of a bottle of wine shipped out of this province is about $10. bucks. you are not getting more than $10 bucks for anything, a bottle of sparkling or a bottle of Tidal Bay, going into China or going into Europe. That's it, the end of it. So, But the value of, of, of converting a bottle of imported wine to a bottle of local wine. Think about the difference that, that that has and the economic impact and the GDP, which most people don't quite understand. Uh, you know, the, the GDP impact here, we punch above our weight class. We aren't, you know, not, notwithstanding what the rest of agriculture does, but we are probably the highest, probably, well, cannabis may beat us, but uh, uh, when it comes to value-added ag agriculture, we're kind of the top of the pile. And, uh, and understanding... We're less than 10% of our own market, and we have control of this market. The NSLC is a monopoly by, by all accounts, and we need to sell more through the NSLC. We need to sell more wine and find ways to sell more wine here in our own market. We should not have the, you, you export when you have excess. We are not even close. We are decades away from having excess wine, decades away. So I, I feel bad for some small wineries in the Valley who've been, you know, given a bit of it, I'm sure it feels great, right? It's an ego. Oh, I've got wine at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant in London. Well, good, good for you. What effort did it take to get there? What are you doing? How are you selling more wine in, in Moncton or in Truro or wherever? You know, that's really the key. It's a business. It's a business at the end of the day. It's an industry and people in it are running businesses and they should not allow government to, have to lead them astray. Yeah, so I, I would just agree with you, and I think Don would agree too that import substitution is a, is 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 good, if not better than exports, of course. Although the data would suggest you do some exports within Canada to other other provinces. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what is Joe's uh, top selling wine? Uh, Tidal Bay, Lacquer de Pinot Grigio, Gaspro would be the Riesling and and the Rosé. Well, Tidal Bay is actually up there. Tidal Bay is the top of the heap for most wineries. Uh, Mercator, our rosé, Compass Rosés, uh, and the Marquette are sort of the the, uh, the lead wines in those those brands. So tell us a little bit about Gasparo. It's it's sort of positioned, uh, as I understand it, as a boutique winery producing premium wines. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing with Gasparo? Well, um, Gasparo has you know we, we doing with Gasparo is an interesting question. I mean, we we are. We're chugging along with it. Uh, the wines get better every year. This is Gina's pet. Gina started that actually at Gasparo, so it was very near and dear to her heart. So I, I she, won't, she won't admit this, but I think she puts extra effort into that brand and, and all the wines in that portfolio uh, every year, as you can imagine. It, Gasparo's Tidal Bay 
has won three Lieutenant Governor's Award. Three. It's the only title that, that has done that. Uh, Gina is particularly <laughs> proud of Riesling. In fact, in literally in the uh, Jancis Robinson's, uh, you know, the Bible on wine that came out a decade ago, she uh, uh, she mentions uh, Nova Scotia Riesling, which at the time was only only Gina's. We had, she had the only one here. She said it could be as iconic for our region as uh, uh, Chardonnay is to Chile. And uh, in actual fact, we, uh, we were in Canada House after in London when they did the uh, the, the renovation, and we had uh, Canadian wine being poured there. Stephen Spurrier, I don't know if you know who that is, but he's uh, uh, famous for the uh, the Paris Judgment back when California wines beat out French wines back in the seventies. Alan Reichman played it, played him in this movie called uh, Bottle Shock. Anyway, Stephen Spurrier, who since has passed. Was at the winery. He is a he was a Riesling geek, and he came when he, everybody was waiting for him to come through. So there were probably 15, 20 Canadian wineries there. And when he walked in, it was almost like everybody you know, there's a rock star walked in the room. He made a beeline for our our, uh, our table, and he had his little book. He was he came specifically to try Gina's Riesling. And uh, we were all nervous as hell right? as, as he was, you know, tasting and taking notes. And he said that was damn fine uh, wine. He was, he was very impressed. Saw him later at the London Wine Show, like a week later. And uh, Donna, Donna went up to get a picture with him as if he was freaking, you know, a rock star. And uh, anyway, he was he remembered and, and was talking talked a little bit about Riesling and talked a bit about how uh, how great uh, the wine was. So. It's kind of in that in that realm, right? I mean, it, it commercially, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably the second largest tidal bay in the province, but uh, it's a special brand. It's a very special brand. I just wanted to switch directions a little bit, Carl. Uh, Yost uh, is located on the Northumberland shore in Malagash, as you mentioned, and its mm -hmm. tasting room and Sea Grape uh, Cafe is open daily during the season. I mm -hmm. guess. By the way, I had a chance to go up there this summer, and, and uh, my wife and I really had a nice, uh, nice lunch there. It was a Good. great spot. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to know how important is uh, revenue from tasting rooms to the to your overall wine sales? Uh, well, I mean, you mentioned Yoast. Um, it's important from a branding point of view, and I think an overall. Uh, experiential point of view most wines are consumed the uh the purchaser or the the individual has never been to a, even even been to a winery let alone the winery that has produced the wine mm -hmm. so from our perspective uh that on-site experience is what what drives it if you were to look at the business in and of itself and i mentioned earlier on the return on effort in our case you probably wouldn't do it so at Yoast, we asked about the percentage. Uh, less than five percent of our total revenue would be coming through that through that channel. Okay, but it's a very high percentage of our enjoyment of the industry and of the the whole experience. And I mean, us in total, I think our, us as owners, uh, as winery, uh, uh, you know, the uh, winemakers, etc. You want to have like we're a social. The industry itself is a social industry. And so to a large extent, it, it, you know, having that onset experience is kind of good for the soul, for us all. And uh, that, that's what it means to me. It's not, it's not the business side of the equation for me. Well, it was interesting when we were there, it was kind of a damp, overcast day. And, and you know, to get to uh, the winery, it's not, it's not on the main route. You mm -hmm. have to go off the route of it. And it was busy. It was really busy. And people were clearly enjoying themselves. So that experience... As you mentioned, I think it's really part parcel of, of, of your branding strategy. I get that part. Yeah. So you talked earlier about tourism a little bit when you talked about the economic impact. We wanted to talk a little more about the role of tourism or the role of the wine sector or your wineries on tourism. Um, you know, this idea of wine as part of a tourism experience for those living, but also those visiting Nova Scotia is, is becoming a bigger deal. Um, you know, if we think about the Okanagan Valley and how the wine industry has been embedded with tourism there, 
Um, how has the interest in wine industry grown over the last 10 years? The tours, the, the sort of interest in, in, in tasting and interacting with local wines? Well, uh, COVID notwithstanding, which uh, threw a wrench into a lot of things, uh, you know, up, up to pre-COVID, it was, uh, it was peaking, right? It was growing in, in leaps and bounds. And it was interesting at one point this summer, I think it was uh, June was a very slow month, but I remember a little later on in July, uh, when I'm looking at lineups and, you know, trying to get into the patio or even and lineups at the, at the checkout, which is even more interesting, uh, you know, it was okay. This, 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 I'm back to where this used to be. I, I remember this now <laughs> a few years where we, we had to hit the pause button. It's very important. We we have had as, as many as a hundred thousand people, and, and I'm going to talk about Yost because the valley is a broader. We've got a number of wineries down down there, and everybody's experiencing have different reasons and have different business models. And and going to the valley and the whole winery tours, you know, are all part and parcel of that experience. So we're a little different, and, and as Don pointed out, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a trek to get to us. Uh, you got to really want to be there, and you know, from our perspective. You got to provide enough entertainment value so that, that justifies uh, the drive, and and that that, that. So we get about a hundred thousand people come through our uh, winery a year. The majority of them, the vast majority of them, are from out of province, and a lot of it has to do with our proximity to Prince Edward Island, uh, our proximity to New Brunswick itself. We are in New Brunswick, notwithstanding there there are vineyards planted there, but we kind of are in New Brunswick's. Uh, wine country uh, and then a lot of people people obviously passing through uh, and, and on their way to uh, Cape Breton and and, uh, <clears throat> and so forth a lot of Quebecers like a lot of Quebecers come to uh, the winery so yeah it has an uh, it has a big impact on uh, the the region Tatamagush is, is evolving into a beautiful little town I mean Hans Christian Yost is a good friend great guy you know, uh, the, who uh, we have acquired the winery from, had built Tata Brew, and his uh, his daughter is, is running that now, and they have they're kind of the nucleus of, of uh, you know you, you, people complain because uh, you can't get a parking spot in Tatamagus because everybody is parked at Tata Brew, right? So it's it's just a great uh, a great place to go, and of course our partnership with Fox Harbor, and we have vineyards there. They have vineyards, and we we process the grapes and create wines for them. Um, so the North Shore, I mean, we, we are biased. We, we live there. We live in Fox Harbor, and we just love it. We love where we live, and uh, and the whole, we see a lot of tourists through that, not just the summer months anymore, because I think COVID helped expand that to the off-season as well. So, yeah, I don't know if, I'm not sure if I answered your question. No, that's great. Thanks. <clears throat> so, Carl, uh, we have a lot more questions we could ask you about the winery, but one of the things that we thought would be important is to spend the last few minutes that we have talking about the role that government has played in the development of the wine industry in Nova Scotia. I think you have some strong opinions on that. I wonder if you would uh, would just kind of give us your overview of uh, what the role of government should be in the development of your industry. Yeah, and, you know, i got to be careful because I am, you know, uh, very passionate about uh, about this subject, and uh, have been very vocal, and sometimes get punished. Usually get punished for for my opinions in this regard. Previous government, while well intended, I want to I want to preface my comments with that. I believe that they were well intended. I think uh, led the industry down a garden path, and you know, threw a lot of money and put out a carrot there to go in directions that played to people's egos rather than to the reality of business and, and sustainability of, of an industry. And that's unfortunate. And, and there's some folks out there today who are hurting, I think, as a result of that. Uh, that in, I, I've got people in government or had, and I'm, I'm going to start on, I'm talking about the previous liberal government, uh, had uh, ministers telling me what I should be doing in my industry, in my business, telling me, telling me i've been running large companies food processing companies for 30 freaking years over that i've got somebody who has never dipped their toe into an entrepreneurial world no jack shit about our industry or any other for that matter telling me where i should be going 
telling me what I, I need to do to be successful. And these misguided individuals, unfortunately, uh, had impact on policy, had impact on, on, on what uh, others who did not have that same business experience and uh, uh, ended up making some, some, uh, some grave errors. Um, but they control the regulatory environment around wine uh, is huge. You know, if I were growing vegetables or growing any, any other agricultural product that would have far less oversight than we do growing grapes. Uh, the wine industry, uh, being in the beverage alcohol category, controlled by the NSLC, um, and, and, you know, the various pieces of that, and another huge uh, dimension to the regulatory environment. Uh, the one thing that I have to say about the new government, and, and new government, not that new anymore, uh, but Tim Houston and his team, and Tim is a strong leader, uh, and has a very strong opinion about what industry should look like. And he, he actually does come from a pretty solid business background, but he listens. And he's, he's had his folks uh, conditioned to listen, certainly from my perspective. I'm sure everybody has their own opinion. But I have never been more optimistic than I am now about our industry because of this government uh, listening. And I think looking at it from the point of view of what's going to be a sustainable contributor to the GDP and the future of the Nova Scotia brand and economy. And that's it's as simple as that. Not pandering to, uh, you know, special interests or individuals who may, or some MLA that who may be in, in, a, in an area who's got a pet project on the go. No, it's, it's where are we going to be? Show me the numbers, show me the, how we're going to, you're going to be uh, contributing to our economy. Uh, going forward and how this is going to be a win. There's no handouts anymore, and I'm glad for that. I never wanted them. Uh, the previous government, that's all they wanted to do was dish out, dish out money. All I've ever asked for is create the conditions for success. We will invest, create the conditions where we can be successful on our own. That's all I want. And this government believes that, and they're going to do that. So I'm, I'm very pleased to be where we are today with this government. So are there specific things that you think need to be done to improve the regulatory environment or access to local markets or well, access to workforce? Any, any, any big things you want to share with us? Well, I, I think that um, the workforce is a challenge for everybody. But uh, for me, and it is and always has been, uh, it's interesting. We hosted uh, some top Somalis from around the world. There was a competition happening in Montreal about three or four years ago. And we got to host them at one of our wineries. And there's one gentleman, he was the top Somalia in the world many years ago uh, from Italy. And he really wanted, he, he was so pleased to be here because it was, he was in on, on, you know, it was one of the things that the agriculture department did, I think, very well back then. Um, paid for their, their trip from Montreal down and, and he wanted to contribute. So he kept asking questions. He wanted to, to help us out. And he asked, he said, Carl, tell me, he said, tell me, do you have a wine culture here in this province? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say that. You know, we drink wine. Mo you know, most people would be on the weekends. It's not a an everyday uh, meal with me. Yes, I'm in the industry. And I drink wine every uh, every day. Uh, but and then then he he finally got to the question: Are citizens citizens able to buy their wine or either buy their food? So no, unfortunately, sir, they are not. And then he went, too bad. He said, "You'll never have a wine culture until that happens." And I believe that to this very day, wine is food. I grew up, uh, you know, seven, seven generations of farming. My grandmother was a winemaker. She made wine out of everything. And, uh, you know, my father and, and uncles all, all talked about, it. we didn't have any pop growing up. We drank wine, watered down wine. They would have, you know, uh, with, with meals and, and whatnot. So, yeah, we need wine in grocery stores in this province uh, in, a, in a big way. And, and I'd go so far as to say unrestricted. You can spend a little bit of time. Beautiful story in Western Canada. BC is, is, is the model. Wineries out there, the winery owners and folks in, in that market are, you know, have been served very well by the, uh, the initiatives, the undertakings of the, uh, the government and uh, wine authority and the uh, uh, BC liquor. Um, when they started out, they actually kicked up a bit of a stink because they, they opened up the supermarkets, opened up wine in, on shelf, in line supermarkets, but it was only local. 
and they got challenged by WTO and they knew that was going to happen. They did it anyway. So they had enough of a five-year run with local wine in supermarkets. Then when it finally uh, was opened up to, to international wines, the grocer said, no, we're quite happy with, with it just being local. And they kept it local. Great story. I think we can do the same here. And uh, can't wait to see that happen. I think, you know, I think there's an appetite for it. And until we get there, our critical mass will, will probably not, not be there. Uh, it's as simple as that associating wine with food and, and uh, the local experience. That's kind of where it needs to be. Well, Carl, that's a good uh, wrap up, uh, a good place to end the podcast. I think, uh, you know, you've outlined probably one of the biggest challenges facing the wine industry in Nova Scotia, which is ready access uh, to the marketplace. Can and, I interrupt uh, for one sec, Don? Yeah, you bet. Uh, you, you didn't get to the biggest challenge. I know we're out of time here, but for me, the biggest challenge facing the industry is actually, besides getting out of our own way, is Quebec bottlers. We have some massive bottlers okay. in Quebec who, okay. in the past five years, have grown. Uh, their sales in Nova Scotia have grown by more than the Nova Scotia industry in total. Uh, and these are, these are bottlers with like 5 million case capacity versus ours at 300 or so, 300,000. And... Uh, you know, they, we cannot ship into Quebec. There's an interprovincial disparity here. Okay. Uh, Quebec and Ontario can ship into Nova Scotia unrestricted, but we cannot ship our large format products in there. It's actually uh, regulated. So that, that is the other factor that's got to be dealt with, and I think the government is looking at it right now. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge issue, and it has we got cheap wine coming in here from Quebec, from, from offshore, so bottled Australian wine uh, mostly. And uh, it is it is seriously impairing our ability to grow in Nova Scotia. Well, well thanks for uh, alerting us to that issue. That's a big issue, and uh, um, obviously, uh, you're, you're you're you've got uh, uh, efforts to to change that with the government. So, uh, thanks for bringing that up, Carl. And we want to thank you for joining us on the Insights Podcast and really providing such a great overview of the wine industry overall and your own thriving business. We want to wish you continued success and uh, we look forward to uh, tasting more of your wines as, uh, as time goes on. Thanks for joining us. That's great. Thank you, Don and David. Really appreciate uh, this opportunity today. Thanks for taking the time. You've been listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform like Apple or Spotify. If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlantic Canada.